Hello, this is a special edition of the Francis Farmer Show. And what this is, is that about a year ago, I was invited to participate in the recording of a brand new podcast, uh, which never actually got off the ground, although we did record the episode. And uh, on the show, uh, we talked about Hong sang Su and specifically his 2010 film, Oki's Movie. Uh, this was recorded last August, and uh, it never it never saw the light of day, but I thought it was an interesting discussion, and as you know, if you are a regular listener to the Francis Farmer Show, I am a huge fan of uh, both Hong and this movie, so I thought it would be interesting to try and, uh, and resurrect this one episode, because uh, I love the movie so much. Uh, the, on the discussion, it's hosted by Tommy Prieto, and I am uh, joined in talking about Oki's movie by uh, by Ty Landis as well. Uh, so what you will hear is 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 Tommy hosting the show, and we will, we're all acting like it is his podcast because it was going to be. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting discussion of a very difficult to discuss movie. And hopefully you like it. Uh, I would not recommend attempting to listen to it if you have not seen Oki's movie, because even if you have seen it a few times, I'm not sure that our discussion of it makes a lot of sense. But hopefully it's fun. So here it is, Hong Sang Soo and Oki's movie. Sean Gilman and Ty Landis. Uh, you might know Sean from Seattle Screen Scene, The End of Cinema Blog, The George Sanders Sorts. Ah, I messed that one up. George <laughs> Sanders Show podcast or the They Shot Pictures podcast. Uh, you might know Ty from uh, In Review Online, Movie Mezzanine, Sound on Sight, The Serene Cinema Blog or the Almost Art House podcast. Uh, yeah. Hey, Sean and Ty. Hello. Hello. Thank you for uh, having us on this uh, debut episode. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. I'm happy to have you guys. Um, so today we're talking about Hong sang Su's, um Oki's movie. Uh, I know both of you guys really like the movie, which is why I had you on. Um... <laughs> Plus, I think Sean might be the biggest Hong fan in existence, so I figured that would be appropriate. No, not not the biggest. There's like whoever runs the Hong Sang Su web Twitter account yes. that retweets every mention of Hong on the internet. <laughs> that person loves Hong Sang Su more than me. <laughs> they don't tweet out that often, though. Oh, I get them all the time. You have to get them. Really? You have to be on it like the right time of day. Ah. And they also speak French, so they get all of the Hong Sang Su and French stuff. So, okay, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's see. So Hong Sang Su. Um, 
Uh, let's see. I feel like Sean, you probably know all heck of a lot about him, like his bio and stuff. All I know is what's on Wikipedia in terms <laughs> of bio. Yeah, you know, I honestly I don't know much more than than just kind of the basic outlines. Um, we had uh, on the George Sanders show last year. We had a, we had a chance to to interview Bong Joon Ho yes. when he was in town for for Snowpiercer. And I made uh, my co-host ask him what Hong Sang Soo was like, <laughs> and uh, Mike, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he did, and and Bong uh, seemed to think he was a very nice guy. Uh, uh, he kind of envied Hong's position. He said that that uh, he gets to work so often because because he works really cheaply. Uh, he has a a regular job as like a, a professor. And he works with like students, so he doesn't have to pay them as much. And then, and then, uh, like major actors will just like his movies and like him, and will agree to work with him. So that's how he's able to to make movies so quickly and and make so many of them. Huh. So these students that he works with, are they like on the technical side? Yeah, I would I would assume so. Like I, I assume most of the technicians are are just kind of starting out. Uh, the only one that I know that has like gone on to make a, a name for himself is uh, a guy who served as his assistant director on on a handful of films uh, named Lee Kwang Cook, who has directed a couple of features and a short, all of which are are really good. Um, the 2011 feature uh, Romance Joe uh, yeah. is is terrific, and then he's got a new one that that premiered last fall and is making the festival rounds right now called A Matter of Interpretation. That is is really really strong as well. Uh, similar to Hong in the in the kind of the way it plays with like structure and, and dreams and reality, but but uh, still a, a kind of a distinct sensibility. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously or not surprisingly, IMDb does not have much info. Yeah. Uh, on the people that work on his movies. <laughs> I think for Oki's movie, the cast list is about three actors long. Yeah, but a, a lot of the actors are like well-known Korean actors that that work all the time in, in like television or movies. Like I, I think the the guy who plays the professor here, who's in a number of of Hong Sang Soo films, yes. is like a like a renowned actor in in Korea. Uh, Moon Moon uh, Sung Kyun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it seems also like he works with the same actors over and over again. Or at least they tend to appear in a lot of his movies. Yeah, like like a lot of, of great of great directors, he has yeah. kind of a, a stock company of actors that he that he uses again and again. That uh, that's another thing that helps him work work quickly is he's not constantly having to re explain his methods to new to new actors. If you're on like your fifth Hong Sang Soo film, you know what to expect. You know what he wants you to do as a performer. So, right. Do you guys know if there's like an editor he always works with? I was trying to find information on that. I I, I really don't know on the technical side. Um, other than other than Lee Kwang Cook as the the AD. Yeah, yeah. I know. Hanyo Park, who is a cinematographer of Oki's movie, has done a few movies with him. 
like R. Sunyi, Hill of the Freedom, Nobody's Daughter, Heiwan, in another country. So I guess he does have like a steady stable of collaborators. Yeah, I, I do know that he uh, went to school in the U.S. Yeah. For a while, he he started in in in, uh, in college in Korea, and then and then spent uh, spent time in Chicago, yeah, and in California. California. Yeah. And and he was fairly old when he when he started directing. He was uh, in his mid thirties. Yeah. Uh, but he's really he's really really productive. Like I I think uh, he's he's made at least one movie every year since two thousand eight. Uh, and was reasonably productive before that. So that's like Johnny Cho numbers there. Yeah, I think I think two thousand seven there was neither there was no Johnny Cho or Hong Sang Soo movie, <laughs> and I think that was the first time. That was like the only time since nineteen ninety five that that's true. <laughs> that there was neither a. Or 1994, yeah, that there was neither a Johnny Toe or a Hong Sang Soo film. Wow. No. Huh. Depending on how you count Johnny Toe's movies where he uh, supposedly like ghost-directed stuff in Milky Way. But, right. Um, yeah, so should we talk about maybe some of the usual stylistic traits of uh, Hong's movies? Um, of course, the most famous one which he hasn't been doing since the beginning, but since I think a tale of cinema is the, uh, the zoom. Yes. That was, yeah, that was his first film. I think he introduced it in. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess he sort of used it as a substitute for an edit, um, from going from like a medium shot to close up or a long to medium. But how, what effect do you think that has um, on his movies and the way you watch them? Well, for for some people, it's really alienating because the the zooms look really clumsy. Mm. Like he like he doesn't really know what he's doing. It's just like a like a quick zoom, and it's not it's not smooth like a like a Robert Altman, you know, or Stanley Kubrick zoom. It's just a it's just a quick zoom in. Uh, I think I think they're charming. They're they're usually uh, they're often really funny. Like he'll zoom at at uh, as like a punctuation on a joke with the characters, uh, and and sometimes it's it's dramatic. It's like at at a turning point in in the conversation instead of instead of like cutting to a close up in the actor, he zooms and you get the same the same kind of effect without breaking the uh, the reality of the performance. Like it, it keeps the actors performing in in the long take. While getting some of the stuff that you get out of like the the analytical uh, classical Hollywood editing, yeah, this sort of bridge to you know a, a gag or pathos. While you know his his hallmark is these you know static long takes in a way. So what I agree with what Sean said, it sort of breaks that up in a way in a not a not an interesting way, but I think it's effective rather than you know alienating. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting how he's how he's progressed over over twenty years. Because when he when he started, he didn't have the zooms, and and there was hardly any camera movement in his films. It was it was just long long takes and and long shots. 
and and as he's gone on, he he added the zoom. Then he started panning. Uh, uh, in in Hill of Freedom, there's a dissolve, which right. like within a shot, which is you know like I I think I applauded <laughs> in the theater when I saw it. I was so excited that he he did something new. Uh, is that when the letters fall down the the stair? Yeah. I can't yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was. Yeah. Yeah, and there there's no dissolves in any in any previous Hong Sang Soo film. But like in it's like he's he's building he's rebuilding cinema like one step at a time. Right. Yeah, I'm really excited for having a whole series of movies that's <laughs> that's like with dissolves. Hong with dissolve. <laughs> that's gonna be exciting. <laughs> Yeah, and with and with other with other innovations, he's like he's built on them as uh, as he's gone on. There was a uh, was reading something I, I couldn't find who it was. But I was reading something last night and in, in reading up on on Hong and, and Oki's movie uh, that says that he's he's like an experimental filmmaker in, in that every film he's trying something new and he's like working out his ideas as he's in the process of making the film. And with each new film, he takes some of the ideas from previous film and then adds new experiments onto them. So he's just constantly changing his style while working within basically the same generic form. Yeah. The same basic was, characters and situations. Wasn't that Ignati Vishnevetsky? Yeah. It sounded like something that he would say, but I couldn't, but I couldn't, uh, couldn't find it to confirm. But, yeah. uh, I think I'm, it was I'm, his essay on um, the day he arrives. It could be the one about where's the piano in the bar. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now, but I couldn't find uh, the quote. So maybe I'm just not seeing it. Regardless, it sounds like something that that Ignati would say. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I actually really love the zooms. I. I think at first they can sort of catch you off guard because they're so fast, much faster than anyone I've seen. Um, at least I use them that regularly. Uh, but I think like half an hour into the movie, you sort of stop noticing, or at least it stops being, I don't want to say distracting, but... Um, you just sort of get immersed, right? I right. Like, I think. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. I think. I think that says something about just kind of film conventions and film grammar. Is is at first he's doing something that you're not supposed to do, but then you just you just get used to it and you stop noticing. And it just becomes a new convention. Like there's there's no reason why shot reverse shot is more natural than a quick zoom. Right. But it's just it's just what we're used to. Right. Um, I think, uh, I was reading about Bordwell had like a whole big thing on the death of the two shot, mm-hmm. um, and how Hong was one of the only guys keeping it alive. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering what you guys thought about how Hong uses the two shot in his movies. It, it, it feels extremely appropriate with this sort of look at you know, human relationships and complexity that sort of in the moment awkwardness and all of that really captures that in terms of framing, you know, framing both of those bodies in the same shot adds to that. And, you know, when he holds on these, you know, moments or, you know, 
you know, conversations. Uh, I think it really adds to the effect of what he's going for in terms of, you know, capturing relationships. Really, basically, that's the 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 gist of his uh, his narratives, I guess. You know. Yeah, and any other any other style would seem would seem wrong. Like the a shot reverse shot thing would tends to privilege one point of view or another, and and it isolates individuals in a frame. Whereas, like you say, Hong is interested in relationships and the way that people interact, and and you see that all at once. And you want the you want the duration there to get the discomfort of it, because all of his personal interactions are uncomfortable. Yes, I totally agree. Plus, I think he also uses it very well um, in terms of like building throughout the movie. So like in uh, Arasuni, right? It's like a lot of two shots and finally ends with a sh- shot of three people. Mm. And you're like, oh crap, there's three people on frame. Like, um, which of course sort of brings together the three suitors and stuff. Yeah, and the 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 repetition of of the setups and and the locations uh, really really highlights when when something new happens. Like when you have mm-hmm. a series of movies where where every shot of people drinking at the table is the the table is directly perpendicular to the camera and the people are arrayed on either side, and then you have one where the camera is off center and looking at one person over another. That's really that's really unusual. And uh, our uh, Oki's movie is one where the camera isn't centered on on the table in the shots they're always looking at uh at one person or the other uh i think there's there's two shots uh, uh table shots table drinking shots in in oki's movie and one there uh the camera's pointed towards the professor as uh uh jingu kind of uh drunkenly harasses him and the other is jingu and oki at the table and we're we're looking at oki to see her reactions to jingu talking to her uh, I think Hill of Freedom also has like the has it slightly on an angle and and Virgin Strip Bear by our Bachelor, but uh, but most of the others are are straight ahead. Yeah, that's true. I guess that also kind of gets to that idea you were talking about before with him building his own cinematic grammar, um, which I think it's impressive that he can do that usually within like eighty minutes. Um, where he's developed this grammar that at first can be a little bit like, uh, I don't want to say off-putting, but artificial. And then you sort of just get into it. Um, And then you start to see how it draws lines and differences between characters and the way they relate to each other. And differences between all the bunch of narratives that might be connected or might not be or probably both in his movies yeah and i think i think he's remark it's remarkable that he's able to do this while working in uh, uh the the genre of comedy like his, his movie his movies at least from from 2008 or so on are are really funny and normally uh, the, you know, experimental filmmakers like this that are that are reinventing the language of cinema, like Ho Shao Shan or or or, or Chiming Liang, uh, are very serious filmmakers, and there's like some comedy in them, but they're mostly working in in the serious drama art film mode. Whereas Hong Sang Soo is, is basically just making romantic comedy after romantic comedy, while still being 
you know, this crazy experimental filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, I've read some that have compared him, like he's like the South Korean Woody Allen, but for me, and you guys will probably agree, he's more Romare than Allen. What do you guys think of that sort of comparison? Uh, when uh, I think, I think, I think both are both are appropriate. Yeah. The uh, the the Woody Allen comparison is more from like the central figure of his films, uh, yeah. who who bears a somewhat of a resemblance to the director. Uh, it's it's usually a, a filmmaker or a professor who who likes to drink and has a romantically complicated life. Right. Uh, the Hong Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the Romer the Romer comparison is more is more appropriate in that he's uh, continually reworking the same kind of territory in in film after film after film, but in really interesting ways. Like I, I think, yeah, I think he's much better than Woody Allen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I think he'd like, like Romare, he does a really good job of sort of breaking down the, like, quote-unquote, nice guy that is at the center <laughs> of his films. Yeah, the kind of narcissistic male. Yeah. Who is who is ostensibly yeah he he's ostensibly the hero of the film but by the end of the film you you kind of despise him <laughs> yeah um, also with both I think they get accused of being stylistically minimal because um, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily moving the camera around all the time or, or something like that. Uh, right, like 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 Romare, uh, the the camera's always in the place that it needs to be. Yeah, and it's and it's composed without looking composed. Exactly. Yes. Um, let's see other Hong style. Oh, they're also no. they're also probably like the two greatest filmmakers of vacations. <laughs> yeah, Romer and and uh, and Hong. Huh, that's a good point. Yeah, so, so so many Hong films take place in in these kind of gray, empty beach towns, where usually where somebody doesn't want to be on vacation but has to go anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Huh. Yeah, not not quite as picturesque as as the vacations in like Claire's Knee or no. the Green Ray or something, but but still. What I really want is Hong's Percival Legolo. <laughs> it would be interesting to do, to see him do something outside of the genre just to see what would happen. Yeah. But he I mean he doesn't appear to have any interest in in doing anything else. And that and that and that is like the the main criticism of him that it drives me nuts every time a new Hong Sang-soo f- film comes out cuz I can guarantee that that 50% of the reviews will say Oh, Hong Sang Soo made another Hong Sang Soo movie. Yada right. yada yada. Isn't it time for him to do something new? <laughs> this one is he's starting to sound like a skipping record. It was uh, one of the reviews of O'Keefe's movie. Oh, I like awful. that. That is kind of missing the point. I think. Yep. Uh, that is pretty bad. Um, let's see. Oh, you know what's an interesting thing that Ignati mentioned in the article? Um, Hong's sound mix. 
Now, I always hear a lot of people talk about the zooms, or even the pans, but not that much about the sound mix, where everything is at the same level. Dialogue, narration, a phone call, and it's sometimes... I mean, you get it, but at first you're like, is that someone speaking to him, or is that a narrator? Right? Have you guys noticed this, or no? Yeah, in Oki's movie, if I'm, there's a scene. It's right after the uh, professor leaves the after he eats the bad octopus or yes. squid. What is? It? Octopus. And octopus, uh, he looks at his phone, but then you hear, you hear Oki, or she's. It's like the narration is if she's talking to. I could have this backwards. It's as if she's talking to Jingu, or am I, am I? Did I mix that up? Or is she specifically talking to? Or is it just the? Do you, you know the scene I'm talking about? But yes, I got yeah. the sense that what that sort of overlapping voiceover mixed with it's it's a tricky moment, but I feel like I'm reading too much into it in terms of what Hong is implying. I guess it is a really weird know, moment. Yeah, because or is it just are we just supposed to take it at face value that she is interacting with the professor? I don't. That's think when she. So. I think it's a voiceover. Where she's so, almost yeah. kind of saying like, oh, hey, yeah, we learned so much from him or something, right? Okay, yeah, that and sounds And Jengu right. replies? No, I think, the, I think they're, they're voicemail messages that they've left on his phone. Oh. Okay. He's, he's listening to, to voicemails. That makes sense, then. Huh? You see, it's, it's a little tricky. Yeah, I, 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 haven't, ever, I haven't ever thought about that, uh, the, the sound, really. Uh, but, that, but that makes sense. That that it's all just flat at at the same level, like there's there's not a lot of ambient sound really. No. Uh, when they're when they're in a restaurant, it's it's you pretty much just hear the people that are talking talking. Um, yeah. Well, they which always is, seem which is to unnatural, be the only but, people there. Right. Right, like whenever they go to a bar, it's just those people and the waitress. Yeah, it's it's all that's necessary for for the story. Yeah, or maybe that's just how bars are in Seoul. I don't know. I I haven't been to Seoul, but I doubt it. <laughs> I assume the bars are same the same the world over, yeah. and are very loud and hard to have conversations in. Yeah, that's what I would assume. But yeah, yeah, nothing superfluous with him, you know, interjecting any other. You know, like Sean said, or it's just about whatever needs to needs to be communicated in, in that given scene. But in this case, it's every scene in all of his films. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if there are any like extras in his movies. It feels like anyone that's in the movie gets to speak or does something of importance. Yeah, well, every once in a while you have like a, a table scene where there are like extra people at the table. Oh yeah, uh, who who aren't part of the narrative fight. Uh, I think those might be like the only extras in Oki's movie are are the people in the Q and A that are in the audience, like the handful of people. Right, uh, or the professors that, at the the dinner at the Chinese right, restaurant. Right, and the other the other teachers at the the Chinese restaurant that aren't that aren't talking, but. I think that's it, and like when they when they go to the park, it's not like there are bunches of people 
walking through the park that they that they walk past. No. There is it's, one it's guy. Much, yeah, it's it's mostly just them though. Yeah, there's one guy who's like coming up the mountain and like I saw him and it just blew me away. I was like, wait, there are other people here? This is a Hong movie. There's not supposed to be anybody else here. I feel like that was probably not an extra and just some random guy who walked onto frame. It lasts like two seconds. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's more. on And the, the films that take place in actual cities, I'm yeah. sure that there are more people on, on the streets. But, but most of his street scenes are, are in like back alleys. Which, which are empty. Right. Right. Uh, so I guess maybe we should describe Oki's movie at some point. Um, sure. Uh, which might be the most difficult part to make sense of, at least in terms of how it relates to other parts. I would agree. Yes. Uh, I know, Sean, you have a theory about this. Um, do you have a theory, Ty? I, I really don't. I, I don't, and I, like, I don't... It's tough because I don't know that it even it, it all matters because you end up thinking and talking yourself in a circle with this. It w- <laughs> you know, with that first part at least, that's what I've experienced. So I just sort of embrace the mystery behind it, I guess, and stop trying to figure it out at a certain point. At least that's how that's where I stand with it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's ultimately what you have to do because, yeah. like like a lot of. Hong movies, it's it's a puzzle that you can't solve. But that doesn't stop me from trying to solve it anyway because <laughs> I I have a sickness. Uh, but like uh, like Hill of Freedom, which has which has a letter missing, uh, 
Like you can't know the full story because the story that we're being narrated not only is it jumbled, but part of it is is missing. It's it's impossible to to reconcile all of the parts of the narrative into a coherent story, right. or or in another country where uh, a prop from one story magically appears in another story that is a completely different reality, um, yes. like it or or uh, the day he arrives, which is is just like an insane kind of Groundhog Day ish jumble of of time and space um he 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 makes these puzzles and and you know you you can you can work and and try and resolve them but but ultimately it's it's not going to to work it's always going to be mysterious and i think that this uh that is kind of how hong views the universe and and the past is is you just can't sort it out in a way that makes sense. Futile endeavor. And I think now I've only seen, I think he's at 16 features. Now he has a new one. Is it, did it, is it, it's debuting at Locarno, right? It's debuting at Locarno. It just announced today that it'll be at TIFF. Uh, I'm assuming it'll be at Vancouver. Yeah. Conwood. All all of his other films are. Hopefully Uh, New York Film Festival. Fingers crossed. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. But, yeah, so 16 now, 17 on the way, or here, obviously. But I've only seen seven, but I feel like, you know, if some random some random person asked you, like, hey, I'm going to get into some Hong Sang Su, like, what would you recommend? Now, Sean, have you seen all of his films, I would imagine? Or I have. Thomas, are you, or have you seen most of them, or are you sort of like two-thirds halfway where I, like? I'm probably about two-thirds. I haven't seen okay. that much of the really early stuff. Um, yeah, same with yeah. yeah. The only the the furthest one back I've seen is Tale of Cinema, which I watched last night, which is really great. But um, getting back to my original point, so so if some, this would be the last of his movies, you would basically recommend to someone. This would not be the the worst place to start with his films. Would you guys all agree? That's like this would be from the ones I've seen. This would be the the this would make the least sense to start out watching. You know, getting introduced to him. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. This it would probably not be a good way to start. I don't think it, you have to like leave it for the end, though. I think like after you've right. seen like two or three, like this is a great one to to watch. I think the first of his I saw was um, the day he arrives, which <laughs> <laughs> you know I really liked it, and it was a good yeah. intro for me at least. I don't know about other people, but. Uh, the first one I saw was Like You Know It All, which I saw at the Vancouver Film Festival, and it, it takes place at a film festival. So it's like a, <laughs> it's a, it's it's like a, 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 it's a perfect movie for a film festival. Like a lot of Hong Sang Soo films are are great to see in in festival settings because they're just geared to that environment. Uh, when when in another country played in in Vancouver, like the there were like women in the audience who applauded Isabelle Huppert's line or name in the credits. <laughs> uh which was weird but uh yeah if i if i was like recommending like a first hong sang su film i would i would go with like in another country or yeah. uh maybe hill of freedom or um or sun he maybe yeah or, or ha 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 maybe yeah. yeah i saw hill of freedom at the new york film festival and the crowd seems surprisingly receptive 
they were laughing at the right time. They seemed to enjoy it. I was, I mean, for regular New York Film Festival crowds, that was very surprising. Really? They, do the the New York crowds not get into the movies? No. Um, about really? half of them walked out of Stray Dogs. A bunch uh, walked out of Horse Money. Um, uh, yeah, some guy in the crowd got into a fight with Ferrara about Pasolini. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that the that sounds more like uh, like Seattle, but Vancouver audiences are really really into movies. Like, I, I mean, we saw Stray Dogs there. I think only one person walked out, and they walked out in like the second to the last shot. Like they waited all the way, <laughs> and then that was the last draw. <laughs> but no, they're 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 always like really into the humor of of the films. Like La Sapienza was like a huge hit in Vancouver is like sold out. They added an extra show and the audiences were just like, you know, they were laughing. They're just totally into it. This, you know, freaky weird Eugene green movie. That, that was surprisingly a hit in New York too. Yeah. I was, I was shocked. Everyone was laughing. Like they seemed to really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh. Something about Eugene green. He's, he's more popular than people give him credit. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, we were talking about Oki's movie and the the first <laughs> the first section. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean you can you can try and puzzle out like the relation of all of the four films to each other. It, it's possible they're not related at all, and they're all like completely in their self contained worlds with three totally different characters. Mm-hmm. Or it's possible that there is is a puzzle there that you're meant to figure out that it is about one one relate one love triangle right. told uh, three or four different ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what what do you think? I mean, I generally like to think of Hong movies as sort of these separate worlds that bleed into each other in really strange ways um where they all kind of there is they do relate to each other but they don't fit not enough and they contradict at moments um yeah I don't know it's very strange but fun yeah I I think uh I think you can you can take it on its face value and just kind of follow the the logic of of assume that these four films are all related and try and and trace out how they connect and how it fits together and I think that that tells you a lot about what the film is about beyond its plot uh, in a way that that is rewarding without actually coming to a rational reading of the film as a coherent story if that makes sense yeah uh so so like i have a theory that (laughs) the the first film uh is uh is set sometime in the future relative to the other films and it's about it's about jingu who is a a uh who is a filmmaker and is also a teacher and he becomes uh he hears this rumor about uh another teacher one that he admires uh, Professor Song, and he start, he becomes disillusioned 
with that professor. And then he's at a Q&A for his short film and a woman in the audience confronts him about this affair he had with one of his students four years previously that ended up ruining her life and her fiance's life. Right. And out of uh, and out of this, he creates either the next film or the next three films about a love triangle between a professor and a student who was also in love with another student. And so that is is the origin of the next few films. Uh, or those films are actually flashbacks to the past. Right. And then, and then, and then, each of the next films takes the point of view, more or less, of one of the principles in the love triangle. the The second film is uh, from the the young man's point of view. The middle film is from the old professor's point of view, and the third film is from the the girl's point of view. And that's Oki's movie, which is the name of the whole movie as a whole. Right. But there's that. Yeah, the thing that sort of throws a wrench in, in sort of those sort of. Well, no, yeah, I'm not like trying to like. Is it is it in the um, second story where we go to her in her uh, Oki and her friend? It's like you get that yes. sort of perspective, even though it's not her story yet, right? Right, which is which is sort of jarring. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the the first film and the second film are yeah. the only ones that have like an objective scene. That it's uh, it has a shot of of Oki and her friend that Jingu wasn't there to see. So it's yeah. not from his point of view. Uh, whereas uh, the third and fourth films uh, stick strictly to one character's point of view. Yes. Yeah, so it just, it worked. It's, it was odd to see that even on a rewatch. I forgot completely about that. Yeah, and that, I, think, I think that second film is, the first and the second films are most like a normal, a, a typical Hong Sang-soo film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both have a a filmmaker as a protagonist, a, a filmmaker who who drinks and does socially inappropriate things. Uh, the The second film is, or the third film is much shorter, and it's about the the professor. And it has like the the weird kind of Q and A sequence where the camera pans back and forth between the students and the teacher. Uh, that's not really like anything that that Hong had done before or since. And then the fourth one is from the the woman's point of view, which to that point was extremely rare for Hong, but has become right. less so as as he's gone on past since Oki's movie. Right. And I think one of the weird one of the weird things about the Oki moves, Oki's movies section is usually Hong will play it like usually he would play it out. All right. Here's the whole scene with Professor Song, and then we're gonna do a whole thing again with uh, Jingu, right? Right. But here he's intercutting between both. Yeah, and it's and it's narrated from from outside that as yes. as she's like uh, she's telling the story like a like a nature documentary or something like. <laughs> right. Uh, this guy did this, and we see him do that, and then, but he, this other guy did this other thing. It, it reminded me a little bit of. Have you guys ever seen um, Two Solutions for One Problem, the Abbas Kirostami short? No, I have not. No. Ah, uh, you gotta. Watch, I think it's on YouTube. It's like five minutes long, 
it's this movie he did when he was making movies for children about these two these two school children who these two school children who get into an argument over I don't know you know someone borrowed the other's book and lost it or whatever and it sets out two different paths to resolving that issue one which is the like bad path where they get into a fight and the other one where they're like nice to each other and ends with one giving the other like an apple or something um but the way he does that same intercutting of like part one you know the bad version they do this the good version they do this part two and like keeps on doing that throughout albeit in a weirdly Brissonian way um but yeah it kind of reminded me of that um yeah Yeah, that, that sounds great it's actually really good it's one of my favorite Kurosumi movies um, yeah, I think uh I think he's he's another guy who who like Hong and 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 Ho Shaoshen and, and and Chai has kind of invented his own form of cinema. Yeah, totally agree. Um let's see. Oh yeah, we were talking about how those last two are not quite like Hong movies. Does Right, like I think I think the the movie kind of invites you to to see them all as the same characters and then and then kind of subtly deflates that so like the more you think about it the less the stories seem to fit together and and by the end uh Oki kind of gives it away where she says uh that she that these are that these were actors that she chose them for their resemblance to the real people but that it, because she was trying to figure out some some kind of truth about her relationship with these two men uh, through making this movie about them, but it didn't work, right? Because because they were too different from from the reality, and that uh, that every line every every time I. I, I see the movie and I've seen it like five times now. Every every time that, that line just just blows me away. Yeah. Uh, That's that, like the good version of the spinning top in Inception. Right. Right? Like if that movie was good <laughs> that's what that would be. Yeah, like I've 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 read it as like a like a response to the end of Annie Hall. Right, uh, where uh, where the the Woody Allen character like writes a play about his relationship with Annie Hall, but gives it a happy ending, whereas it it didn't have a happy ending in life because he's trying to improve things right. in art. Uh, whereas, and that is how he copes with the end of his relationship. Whereas Oki finds that that making a movie doesn't really help anything. Because it doesn't help her understand reality, because the movie is different from reality. Because it can't ever be the same. Movies can't ever be real. Right. Or actually, so, it, would, it would also make a good uh, sort of comparison with *Romancing in Thin Air*, right? Which has a similar yeah. idea to Annie Hall of working these real-life traumas through cinema and making them better. Although. I think romancing in thin air has this idea of 
it also being really dark and weird. Yeah, that comes uh, as uh, as like a cathartic effect in in *Romancing and Thin Hearts*. There's, there's the the woman who can't get over the death of of her husband, and then she like experiences a movie about that, and and finally gets closure about it. Right. Yeah, yeah and tale tale of cinema basically is is in the second half of that film basically encapsulates the entire text of this fourth chapter. Right. I mean, that's basically you know, this idea that you're recreating these, you know, putting these movements into reality. Uh, it, I mean, that's what makes that second half of that film so jarring. Have you seen that, Thomas? No, I haven't seen it yet. You need to get on that immediately. It's great. But yeah, that's similar to what Hong and Oki, I guess, are dealing with in this fourth chapter. This, you know, her her having to leave, uh, you know, the cinema's not, you know, uh, living up to the the uh the realities of or you know of real life i guess the the moments yeah there's there's a line in in tale of cinema that is is my favorite line outside of of oki's movie and in, in all of uh hong's films and it's uh it's in the second half the the guy who's uh is is talking to a, a girl who watched the movie uh that is the first half of of the tale of cinema and he tells her that the movie was based on his life and she responds that I, I don't think you understood what the movie was about. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, that's awesome. You know, I wanted to go back for a second to a day for incantation and that mm-hmm. that Q and A session because I think one of the things Han that Han got like really well is how those Q and A sessions go. Yeah. In real just life, which is very the, poorly. Yeah, the awkwardness and and just kind of ickiness of of, of the re- like his initial response to that the first question from the moderator when he just yes. kind of goes on and on. It doesn't really make much sense. Where he's he's <laughs> like trying to make sense and trying to explain what he thinks about movies, but it's really hard to put into words. Uh, is something I have seen at every film festival I've ever been at. <laughs> Yeah. And at one point, he's just like, this is bullshit after she just keeps going on and on. It's the most awkward thing ever. And like the and the moderator who, who just, she patiently listens to his theory of cinema, and she's like, well, some people like, what, what is what is the line? Like, some Simpler. people like stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, like, so the Jingu character and, uh, the A Day for Incantation segment, when he's given that speech, even though it kind of doesn't totally make sense, but most of the time I was just nodding my head like, yes, exactly. Themes are something they just taught us. That's not the most important thing. Like, But he's also, at the same time, kind of like a drunk asshole? Yeah, he's, he's, it's, like, uh, it's like a self-critique. Because he's yeah. he's describing Hong Sang Soo movies, like they, right. you know, they they don't have, you know, themes, and then, you know, his his movies are similar in complexity to a living being, which is a really pretentious way of, of describing them, but that's true. Right. Uh, and then and then he skewers that with the, with the moderator. It's like, no, some people like simple things. I love how the moderator. You can tell by the end. Is actually quite upset. Yeah. Um, 
and the poor woman that's up there with him, which we have no idea who that is, right? Who's up there with Jingu? No, I assume his I... lead actress, maybe. Yeah, it could. It could be the actress. It could be. I mean, I, there, there wouldn't be a translator, but. Uh... Yeah, but that's normally the setup at a at a festival Q and A where right. you have uh, where you would have Hong and his translator and then the moderator. Right. So maybe he just put her up there because <laughs> there's usually three people up there. Right. But she is like I feel so bad for her during that scene. This is the most awkward thing. Um. Yeah. Also, the audience member getting into an argument with uh, Jingu really reminded me of the Pasolini screening. That was... Yeah, fortunately I haven't seen many many of, of those oh, man. Q&As where somebody is like attacking the filmmaker. Oh. That's not... The, the Canadians don't really do that. Oh, right. Fair enough. Um, they did that at uh, Goodbye for Language, except Godard wasn't there. It was just one of the actresses. No. <laughs> she was like, well, I don't know. I didn't make the movie. <laughs> um, okay, I wanted to talk about the, like, the Q&A section in um, part three, After the Storm, mm-hmm. which I thought was really was unprecedented in Hong movies, let's say. Um, and I think, Sean, you mentioned in your in your review that it's a little Godardian, which I kind of see there. Yeah, the, just the the kind of gnomic aphorisms that the, the professor responds with, and it reminds me of something like from, from Masculine Feminine or, or something like that, where the... The, the 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 two kids uh uh Jingu and Oki are the only ones who have shown up for class after the snowstorm and so the the three of them just stand there and the professor's up there and they ask him you know questions about the meaning of life and he answers with like these cryptic responses that are like really clever and and actually you know pretty smart and and funny but uh and it's just i think it's just one shot and the camera is just just constantly panning down to the students and then up to the to yeah. Professor Song. Uh, yeah, it's it's only ten minutes. It's the shortest of the chapters, but it's, I think it's my favorite chapter. I wish that was the entire movie of them just asking him questions. <laughs> that'd be something. Else. That'd be chaos. But that'd be oh my god, that'd be the best movie ever. But yeah, it's 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 odd because I forget who mentioned it. I think it was you, Sean. Like. They almost, if we're to see it as these sections, you know, aren't entirely related, it's almost like, you know, the the professor in that moment is almost, you know, obviously feeling the pain because he even writes on the chalkboard something about the mystery of a woman or something and then erases yeah. it eventually. Yeah, it's like the eternal riddle. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like you don't get the sense that, that Oki and um, Jingu at that point, like, are that like are that much involved with each with one another? I don't know. You don't get the sense that any of them are involved. Right, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's hard to place it in in the timeline. 
like of when it happens. And at the end of it, the the professor says he's going to give up teaching, but but <laughs> right. we see him in the in the first film, which is supposedly sometime later, because Jingo's no longer a student; he's a teacher, and he's still teaching. So it's it's a really weird thing. Like it, you would think it would take place like first temporally, and like it's the first time that that right. he and Oki are spending time together. But I don't know. I mean, I could kind of see it. If, you know, Oki's the only one that, at least at first, shows up to the class. And so that might be a little bit of a draw for him. He says he's going to quit, but he doesn't really, you know, commit to it. Yeah, I I don't think it's, it's possible to fit the three stories onto a timeline. Because the 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 fourth one, Oki's movie, yeah. uh, it says the two stories took place two years two apart. Years apart. Yeah. And it says that uh, uh, the the Oki Jingu timeline is on New Year's Day, and it is the the start of a new relationship with a new man is how she describes it. And mm-hmm. we have seen in the first film, Oki and and Jingu. Uh, first become a couple on Christmas. Christmas yeah. So this would be like a week into their relationship. Yeah. But if uh, if it's a week into their relationship, then she hasn't been broken up with the professor for all that long. So then when he shows up towards the end on the, on the mountain where they have agreed to meet every year, it seems like they haven't seen each other in a really long time. Right. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe that's, or maybe that's just like the the last straw. But (laughs) uh, we've also seen Professor Song being vindictive towards Jingu in the first half, supposedly because he's jealous of his relationship with Oki, which hadn't started yet. Right. So. And in Oki's yeah, movie, he talks about how he's been vindictive to him. Right. Like he, uh, uh, yeah, that's the thing. In, in Oki's movie, uh, Song and, and Oki talk about Jingu calling her all the time and like harassing her and asking her out. And Song right. is already jealous of Jingu right. two years before they've ever actually started dating. Yes. I, really hope, I really hope no one is listening to this that has not seen the movie yet. That <laughs> 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 would be something. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it doesn't make sense even in when you've seen it and that and that's kind of the point is that it it doesn't make sense like this, these these plot lines don't don't fit. But it's still dizzy dizzying in the best way possible for me. You know, like yeah. if my feet are to the fire and even though I've only seen 7 of his features, this is my number 1. Yeah, it's it's, it's my favorite as well. Uh Yeah, I don't know. Like that's that that's why I like the idea that that these are these are three films made by the director Jingu from the day for Incantation, uh, which also helps kind of explain the title of that. Uh, and the very right. first line of the movie is like this nonsense, yeah, thing that that uh, that Jingu <laughs> says. He likes he steps outside of his house, which is also the set for Oki's house in the second film. He steps out and, and says this this nonsense phrase twice, like it's like magic words or something. Like he's, you know, like uh, 
like a Homeric muse bringing the world to life or something. Uh, and then, so I think, I think each of the three subsequent films could be films that that director character has made. Uh, that it's not Professor Song's film about himself, that it's Jingu's film about a professor. And then it's not Oki's movie about herself, it's Jingu's movie about a woman in a love triangle. Right. Yeah, that... I mean, that's the best explanation I've heard so far. Um, Also, when he speaks that gibberish at the beginning of the movie... I had to, like, check my subtitle settings. I was like, no, something wrong here. Yeah. Uh, and that's, like, that's, uh, that's what makes the first story so interesting for, for me. Like, it's, uh, there's so much in that that doesn't make sense. And there are, are so many little plot lines that aren't explored and don't really fit in. Uh, and this, this is what I spent most of last night doing. Like, uh, the, the, Wiki, the Wikipedia entry says that the photographer, like, uh, Jingu's sitting on a park bench and he falls asleep and is woken up by a, a woman who takes his picture. And they have a conversation and a little interaction. Uh, Wikipedia says that that is a flashback to when he met his wife. Right. But there's, there's no evidence that that's a flashback. Like He's, he's wearing the exact same clothes. Uh, the day looks exactly the same. Uh, it's a different actress from the woman who plays his wife. So I spent like like an hour looking around the internet trying to find any evidence for the idea that it's a flashback, and and I can't. Yeah, the continuity doesn't line up for it to be a flashback. I don't think. I think that they need to edit it on edit it on Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know where that came from, but it's possible that it is. I guess because because it's Hong Sang Soo and anything is possible. And that's like in, in Nobody's Daughter Haywon or something where, where you have no idea where the dream ends and the you know, reality, quote-unquote, right. begins in, in the, the cinematic world that he's created. Um, but there's, there's all of these other plot lines. Like he, he suspects that his wife is, is having an affair, maybe with his cousin. Who knows? Uh, right. But that is not what he ends up making a movie about. Uh, he... You know, there's this interaction with the photographer that doesn't seem to fit in with the narrative at all. Either it definitely doesn't fit in the plot because we never see her again, but it doesn't seem to fit in thematically either, except with the idea of of he admonishes her for taking his picture without his permission, which is kind of something that Oki is doing in Oki's movie. She's mm. making a film about these guys without their permission. That she's you know adapt. She's adapting people that she knows that has met in her life into her artwork which Jingo is kind of hypocritically criticizing this this woman for that yeah. he needs I think it's like sorry. no go ahead no no go ahead you know I think yeah it, it's almost like you you have to watch this and just view it as like these three characters are just like one body sort of just like moving forward and just never ending and I don't know I think that's the best way to or that's like at least how I view it like they're just just spiraling forward and just these this repetition is just never going to end I don't know but that seems a little bit too I don't know it's just like none of this is ever going to end just spiraling forward in a sense but yeah and that's yeah just just embracing it in a sense and that's the that's the key line that is 
the line that that Oki says at the at the end, uh, which which for me is like the definitive line on on Hong's films is uh, things repeat themselves with differences I can't understand, which is an awkward phrase, but it it seems to explain all of his movies to me. Like there are all of these repetitions in them but they're not exact repetitions and they never really make sense, but they're just going to keep repeating and we're just going to keep trying to figure them out. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It it a little bit reminds me of, you know, like in a comic book when sometimes they choose specific continuity they want to use and what they don't want and how sort of these... Uh, histories bleed in or out at sort of random intervals um and i think of in another country isn't there there's like a bottle that we see broken first and then at other points it's like not broken uh somebody somebody smashes the bottle on the beach and then and then somebody almost steps on the glass in in another version of of the reality. So yes. same thing with, with the umbrella. Like in, in one movie Isabella Pera leaves an umbrella in one spot and then in the in the next movie she she looks and there's the umbrella. Right. That that shouldn't be there in that reality. But but it is. <laughs> um yeah that's great. Um let me see what else did I want to talk about? Oh. oh, the 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 one thing that I have, like the one thing, uh, one of the <laughs> things that I have no real explanation for is the octopus. Right? Why is it whole? Why and it's a it it's an parts? it's a well, it's first of all, it's an insert shot, which yes. which you know, speaking of things that Hong doesn't do, we don't have inserts. Very rarely do we have them. Uh, but you see the octopus that that Song has thrown up, and it appears to still be alive. Yeah, it moves. Uh, I, I, don't, I mean, is, I've is, eaten plenty of octopus, and that's never happened before. Do, do you eat it live? No. <laughs> I mean, not a whole. Yeah. I don't think that's possible. I don't know. It's, uh, do you think it has, I mean, it must have some kind of meaning. It must. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't get an insert shot of it. But, uh, I, I am flabbergasted. Yeah. Me too. I was going to ask you guys about it. It's it's really gross. <laughs> you know, I didn't think it looked that gross. That's just me. <laughs> it's like a, a puked up octopus riding in the snow. <laughs> That to me is gross. Uh, there's, uh, there's, I think, a really interesting conversation in uh, going back to the first film again with another, another of the kind of mysteries in the first film is is Jingu as a professor talking with his student, and he's like yelling at her right. for the form. Uh, for the form, which is a really interesting discussion of, of cinema coming from from Hong. Who who plays so much with with film form? 
uh, Jenga was telling her that she needs to to impose some kind of generic structure on her story that she's trying to uh, get too close to the reality of how things actually happened and he argues the the kind of counterintuitive theory that by imposing an artificial form of the storm of on the story it will make her movie seem less fake than in depicting it as it really was right and i think i think in uh one of the boardwell pieces on hong he mentions a hong interview where he says that he comes up with his movies by thinking about the form and the structure first and then just goes from there. Because he's like, everyone thinks that I'm always saying, all right, I'm going to do another love triangle or whatever. But he thinks right. of the structure first and goes from there. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense, especially in the the, the post-2008 films because they're, they're all so, so distinct structurally um, like, like every single one of them like Nobody's Daughter Haywon is this series of dreams and Arsuni is is three men's perspective on a woman who doesn't really like any of them uh, <laughs> and, and yeah Voki's movie with the four different stories and Ha 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 where the two guys are telling um, uh, telling a story that. not realizing that they're talking about the same people just from different perspectives classic Michael Jackson Paul McCartney <laughs> it wasn't yeah, and, like an then, Usher R. Kelly version of that as well e. yeah that sounds disastrous <laughs> uh, or, or Hill of Freedom with, uh, with the, the, the jumbled up letters like it, it, it seems obvious that he starts with like the formal the formal quirk like the, the experiment first and then just fits the same characters that he's exploring over and over again into this new device yeah yeah he starts with the uh dispositive is that what they call it i think that's what I, I don't know. martin calls it that sounds like a thing i don't know it's fancy yeah <laughs> it sounds like something he would say <laughs> it's like the last chapter of his book it's really good I haven't read the book. It's too expensive. It's way too expensive. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh. So does this rank amongst one of the best Christmas movies? Along with like Die Hard and Eyes Wide Shut? <laughs> Why don't, don't we know. talk don't about this you... on Christmas? We should. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can see it more as like a New Year's movie. Hmm. Because it ends with the the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. That's true. The second story is Christmas. Yeah. No. They all seem to. Uh, the first story though takes place like in the springtime, so. Ah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that's why. Yeah, we have the 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 film. The film opens with like, with pillow shots, with just you know, single static shots of, like, the environment around Jingu's apartment. Yes. Uh, which the other films don't have. But they, they seem specifically to be calling attention to the fact that it is not in wintertime for this story. Right. That, like, there are plants growing. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. 
Um, let's see. How about... I think Kong might be the best director of drinking. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I guess I, he... What, what would his competition be? Yeah. John Ford? Yeah. Um, Nick Ray, maybe? Mm. At least in a lonely place. Yeah, Nick Ray is an angry drunk, though. Yes, he is. I guess Hong's characters are more like pathetic drunks. Yeah, and that's that gets to like the the kind of deflation of the the masculine ideal. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, what a lot of of, uh, of Hong criticism focuses on. Uh, right. I tend to not talk about that because I don't know what the Korean idea of masculinity is, and I'm not qualified to discuss that. But uh, but uh, it definitely deflates it from the American idea of, of masculinity. Like, these guys are really whiny and really pathetic and <laughs> kind of hilarious. But I, I love them, though. Yeah. Each and every one, and you know, no matter how terrible they are, I think I think uh I don't think we're supposed to I don't think the film like condescends to them. I don't think it it I also don't think it excuses them. Like I think he right. it's 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 like a self critique more than anything else. And he kind of sees this these these flaws in ourselves. I think that's also kind of their Romarian, right? Um Yeah. The way like in a summer's tale it's very critical of the central uh, male character, but you also kind of have some sympathy for him, right? Some empathy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and like, uh, uh, we just watched The Green Ray again, and uh, and in that one, you know, for you, you start out liking the, the woman at the, at the center of the film, uh, and then as it goes on, she you know she just keeps complaining and whining you start to really dislike her but then by the end of the film you you are you totally love her like you're you're on her side 100 percent uh you just kind of keeps you on your toes with your relation to the characters on screen yeah yeah i agree um i will say hong in terms of like the drinking in his movies I think the characters, right? I mean, it's. I think it's really hard to do a scene where characters are drunk because everyone overacts all the time, right? Um, and I feel like Hong's characters nail it where they can seem very reasonable for one minute. And then just speak a little bit too loudly, or say some nonsense. Yeah, they know, just they, they just they just keep pushing. They just don't yeah. know when to stop. Right. Which is a very kind of a drunk thing to do, where you just you've you've made your point, or you you don't read the the cue that the other person doesn't want to talk about the the thing that you're you're asking them about. Right. Uh, I think he's helped, he's helped a lot by by his actors. I think the the performances in Oki's movie are are really good. Like all all three of them 
in all of their different versions are are really terrific and i think he uh he he uh he's helped a lot by by the actors in his films yeah he's able to get some really great performances um from these actors um yeah do you guys i always find it very difficult to accurately d- discuss performance um mm. yeah i don't know how would you describe the performances in a hong movie or specifically in oki's movie contemplative i don't know um i think they're pretty naturalistic yeah yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) they're 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 all very verbal performances uh because because his films are so are so dialogue driven uh but I don't know. I have trouble talking about acting too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. The, the, his characters always feel—they always feel like they're playing variations of themselves, as opposed to adopting a persona. And and to me, that is that is acting. Like I, I'm not the person to talk to about acting. I don't know what acting is, but. Uh, I, I believe all of the characters in Hong's movies. At yeah, least, at least these later ones. Like, I'm, I'm not so sure about the earlier ones, but yeah, no one really sticks out. Sort of a sore thumb, sore thumb acting wise. Not only in this, but in everything else I've seen, everything seems pretty consistent. I guess with the moods and everything, so it's not like if there's there doesn't seem to be a bad performance in anything I've seen from him. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what a bad Hong Sang Soo performance would right. look like, <laughs> uh, and maybe that's just maybe that's that's him using his actors well. Like, he, if he fi- has an actor that seems like really fake and artificial, he will have him play like a fake and artificial character, like the uh, the guy that Jingo meets in the first film in the the bathroom, who supposedly bought his his position as professor. Oh right. Uh, yeah has like that really awkward like plastic smile pasted on his face through the whole scene and he's he's acting like a phony and maybe it's bad acting or maybe it's good casting i i don't know but but you get the essential truth of that character from that performance so yeah that's a good point i mean it sort of adds to the idea that the rumor about professor song might be true right um yeah yeah and i i really i love um uh jung yumi's performance as as oki um because uh, unlike unlike jingu who says everything that he thinks you you get you get the impression that oki is always uh thinking about like kind of taking in and processing what people are telling her and she doesn't like any of it so she's like trying to figure out how best to deal with reality and she doesn't know and it's this kind of kind of conflicted nature the the disconnect between what she actually does and says and what she appears to be thinking is kind of the the essence of that character i think 
Yeah. Huh. That's a good point. And uh and it's it's the same. Uh she's she's uh she plays Sunhi in, in, in our Sunhi and, and it's a very similar uh, character. Where she's uh where she there are these men and it's uh two one of the same men, uh Lee Sung Kun again. Yeah. Uh and then and then two others uh are are infatuated with her and she kind of tries them on and doesn't really know if she actually likes any of them or not. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um okay, I think I think maybe one last question. You guys probably want to get some sleep or something, I assume. Um what the heck is up with those intertitles? They look really weird. No? That that combined with pomp and circumstance is pretty <laughs> it's pretty ironic and <laughs> works great, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> um Well it's the idea that they're like student films. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh and pomp and circumstance being like the graduation right. theme. Uh I think I think music in in Hong's films is is interesting. It's some, is interesting. It's something that I I need to rewatch his movies and and pay more attention to it. It's like I've I've been meaning to rewatch them all in order for for years now, and I and I haven't gotten around to it yet. But the way he uses like these these bits of classical music, uh, well known bits of classical music, and repeats them throughout his films, I think is is a kind of an interesting formal quirk that doesn't get really discussed much but it's the same thing of, of repetition right yeah yeah he I think Pomp and Circumstance is the only music in this movie right and it's used think, what four or five times uh, yeah four times yeah I guess four, five times because it's, it's the end credits also yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the one that starts Oki's movie is a different version from the other four. It's a yes. it's a piano version as piano. opposed to the full orchestral one, uh, which which again with like that movie having the same title as the movie as a whole kind of marks that as like the privileged story of of the film, right? The one we're supposed to pay most attention to, or it could just be that it's because it's from the woman's point of view. It has a kind of softer version of the theme song it's not as nice pompous as the men mm. yeah okay so actually did we all give what we would think would be a good starting movie for Hong like if someone hadn't watched a Hong movie but for some reason listened to all of this <laughs> I'll, I'll go with I'll go with from the ones I've seen I'll go with uh, just have to name one I'll go with Hill of Freedom. Yeah, that yeah I, English. So <laughs> yeah, I, I usually say in another country because Isabella Pair, uh, and I think it's 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 light and it's fun and it's like really obviously funny, um, but uh, Hill of Freedom for for similar reasons as well. Uh, I definitely think that there is a a difference in his later films from his earlier films. Like I think I think uh, Night and Day in two thousand eight uh, on 
those films are are different in tone to the earlier ones. I still think the the early ones are are very good, but they're they're a little harsher. They're a little darker than the later ones, which are more more comic and a little more self deprecating. They're more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, something something like Woman on the Beach or Woman is the Future of Man, uh, or like his his. Uh, uh, his first two films, uh, I say that I would say definitely see those, but they're they're much more in line with like the the Chai Min Leong school of filmmaking. They're more like ostensibly serious art films than than something like In Another Country, which is like a goofy comedy, right? With some serious undertones. Hmm. I still gotta watch the early stuff. Definitely gotta check that out. Um... I'm going to recommend uh, The Day He Arrives because you're going to be really confused at first, but it's going to be great. And I think one of my favorite things when I watch movies is being really confused and sort of just being thrown in, you know, to like the deep water. Um, and I think that's that's kind of what drew me to Hong was jumping into the day he arrives and being like, oh man, I've never seen anything like this. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, do you guys, anything else or? Only books will save us. (laughs) We need to, uh, to read up on some, on some logic. Yes. (laughs) Um, oh, that was that was the other thing that uh, the the other line that like stuck with me on this time through the movie um, is uh, Jingu's students film uh, has this line uh, uh, because I'm a mosquito uh, because I'm so cold because I'm a mosquito that uh, uh, really kind of jumped out at me as like. Uh, I don't know. You can cut this part out. No, no. Uh, we're, we're like very we're like Kafka-esque, I guess. Uh, well, it's like the motivations of three characters in a love triangle. Like the two men want to like suck the blood out of Oki, <laughs> and she lets them because she's so cold. She just wants someone to put their 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 arm around her. Huh. Which she says in in Oki's movie that the both men when they're when they're walking they put, put their arm, arm around yeah. her and hold her, and and she says that she loves it both times. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yet, yet the men are bloodsuckers, and so there you go. That's one of the things. Um. Okay. Cool. This is a lot of fun. Um. We should probably tell the listeners where they could find you guys. Um. Uh, Ty. Where can the listeners find you? Could you? Find- yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ty underscore Land and my film writings at serenecinema.wordpress.com. Sean? Uh, I am I am all over the place, but uh, probably like the best places on Twitter uh, at the end of cinema. Um, or uh, lately, most of my writing has been at seattlescreenscene.com. But uh, I linked everything more or less through through the Twitter account, so... Awesome. Yeah. 
yeah thank you guys so much for doing this um yeah, thank thanks you for being for, my uh, guinea pigs yeah thanks for 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 asking oh yeah um hopefully we can have you guys back on um yeah i'll edit this sure. to make us sound as good as possible and add pomp and add pomp and, pomp and circumstance if you can. Yeah, just kind of like randomly cut it in in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Um, <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that makes sense for an audience. It's hard to talk about a movie that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like trying to describe it, I'm realizing that none of this makes any sense and it's impossible to describe. <laughs> <laughs> we also didn't really give I mean I didn't really give like a like a real plot rundown. But eh, those are boring anyway, right? <laughs>